This episode of Strangeful Things is brought to you by Nerd Chamber, a collection featuring original artwork and merchandise paying homage to your favorite childhood pop culture, horror, sci-fi, and comedy icons such as Beetlejuice, E.T., Pee-wee Herman, Batman, and more. Visit nerdchamber.com today and get your nerd on. And just because you heard this here on Strangeful Things, when you check out, you can use the promo code STRANGEFULTHINGS with no space and get 15% off your order. Not too shabby. Hi, I'm a kid. And since my parents aren't garbage, they warned me not to listen to this podcast. Because it's full of nasty stuff and cuss words and something we grown-ups would think is funny. So, if you're a kid, like me, go read a book or something. Gosh. And if you're a grown-up, as soon as you hear a voice that isn't mine, you better have your headphones on. Got your headphones on? Sure? Okay, I'm out of here. On November 22nd of 1941, a strange advertisement appeared in the New Yorker magazine. It pictured a group of people sheltered from an air raid and playing dice under the headline, Achtung! Warning! Alert! The copy read, We hope you'll never have to spend a long winter's night in an air raid shelter. But we were just thinking. It's only common sense to be prepared. If you're not too busy between now and Christmas, why not sit down and plan a list of the things you'll want to have on hand? Canned goods, of course, and candles, sterno, bottled water, sugar, coffee or tea, brandy, and plenty of cigarettes, sweaters and blankets, books or magazines, vitamin capsules, and though it's no time really to be thinking of what's fashionable, we bet that most of your friends will remember to include those intriguing dice and chips, which make Chicago's favorite game, the Deadly Double. I'm Kenny King, and this is Strangeful Things. If I had hit a little more, just a little more, we would have had a little less trouble. Can't you see her? She's right in front of you. So rather than investigate it, he was a true American and just shot it three times. And <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you find those witnesses credible? She walks down the hill and never came back. Her body has never been found. I'm 100% Scully. Oh, Mom, the boy in my closet. He's my friend. Strangeful things. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Strangeful Things. I am Acadia Einstein, and we were brought into the show with that riveting advertisement by none other than Kenny King. And we are here with the rest of the Fell Companions. Christy Stevens, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> <laughs> and Jen Martinelli, it will be easy to know which voice is mine this week because I have laryngitis. That's right. And she sounds so pitiful. And I sound like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You actually always. really do. Yeah. I'm gonna husky show a lot. You see? I sound Awesome. Kenny said. Very Angie Harmon of you. Yeah. Oh, she is not my favorite DA. Oh, Jesus. Who is your favorite DA? Yeah, who's your favorite? My favorite DA from Law and Order by a million is Diane Neal. Red hair, don't usually go for it. Looks like a bird, definitely don't usually go for it. (laughs) Holy crap, she's the best. Angie Harmon is my favorite because I want to watch her straighten her hair. Wow, that is a weird okay. thing. Okay, she, she is beautiful. She's beautiful hair. She does. probably do that for charity. You could probably um, pay her money to sit there and yeah, watch her straighten her, her hair. Five hundred bucks. Let me and, watch you straighten her I hair. I mean, no, nothing weird. I mean, I'm not going to sit there in like some wicker chair with no pants. I'm just. <laughs> Oddly specific, but okay. Yeah, well, he's not gonna quote unquote not gonna do that, guys. I'm not gonna sit there in some wicker chair with no pants again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, Angie Harmon is 
she's my favorite because I love watching her and Sam Watson go back and forth. <sighs> well. Wow, I just killed the conversation. <laughs> I know. God, Christy. Ugh. What's wrong with me? Not Sam Waterston. Speaking of husky voices, Jen's now the Sam Waterston of this show. That's right. <laughs> I am. That's Still okay. Right. <laughs> All right. So, Kenny, what are we even what are we even talking about other than a really fun time in America when you needed canned goods and plenty of cigarettes? Oh, <laughs> and brandy. Yes. And bags of sugar. That's right. Further coffee, I guess. I guess. Uh, coffee, I don't think was on the list, but so to oh, go, go back for a second. So the year again is it's 1941 and much of the world is already at war. So Acadia, would you be kind enough to give us an overview of the world at war as of November 22nd, 1941? Not only will I, but I was super excited when you told me that I was going to do this because <laughs> I don't know anything about World War I don't even know who won because I never got to it in any history class that I ever had. Oh, Jesus. Well, not and only am I glad that you're on the show, but I'm glad that you'll be able to listen to the show afterwards and everybody else is listening tonight as well. You might. You might learn someone, folks. So I'm excited <laughs> to find out what happens at the end of World War II because <laughs> we don't we don't actually get there tonight or today or whenever See, you're listening. That's what they kept saying in all my classes. But Damn it! Keep listening, and we'll get there next season. The Germans had already annexed the Rhineland, which was German territory ceded to France after World War One. So what you're telling me here is that France got to take piece of, a piece of Germany after World War I as a punishment. That's the whole Treaty of Versailles. All right. Or part of it, yes. That, that's what I'm saying. This could be fact or fiction, folks. After that, <laughs> they annexed Czechoslovakia and in 1938 <coughs> annexed Austria. Annexed, I know, just means stolen because Correct. we annexed a whole bunch of land. Yes. Yeah. Indian territory. Yes. Yep. 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 England and Germany had been at war since September 1939. France was in it too for almost a year, but they surrendered to the Germans in the summer of 1940. And Germany, frankly, I I'm yeah. surprised that they'd hung around that long because they really all they did was give up the entire time. <laughs> they they kind of sat around, and nobody attacked. Like the Germans didn't attack the French. The French didn't attack the Germans. There were a few British that were hanging around in France waiting for the Germans to attack. The French and the British just kind of looked at each other and said, what are we going to do? <laughs> and finally, the Germans attacked and everybody just ran. So is that where the whole uh, stereotype of France being cowards and yes. everything comes from? Yeah, that's where it comes from. Because okay. they, they, they kicked ass in World War One. I. I mean, Napoleon was Napoleon. Napoleon took over a lot of Europe. I mean, ultimately, Napoleon lost. But the French certainly weren't known as, as running away during Napoleon's time. Um, but yeah, in uh, World War Two, they just said, nope, not this time. So it's a testament to the American education system that I had no idea until probably this last year that Napoleon was that current. I thought he existed a long time ago. Oh, like the 1500s or something? Yeah. Well, not that long, but like, <laughs> I thought he was like more like Alexander the Great. Yeah. Right. Like, I think it's the uniform that like threw me off. He was beating back the Romans, the Gauls. Yes, exactly. He was, he was one of the Gauls. The Mongols. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. So, yeah, there you go. Well, all right. Now that we're displaying playing our ignorance to everyone. <laughs> you started it. Yeah, that is true. So, uh, Katie, you were saying that uh, they... So France surrendered to the Germans. France surrendered. Look, Germany's winning. Right. Mm -hmm. They're annexing things. They're, there's that movie Dunkirk. 
Um, <laughs> yes. Remember that movie France Dunkirk surrendered. that happened. So they watched they watched that before they did anything. Yes. Right. Um, <laughs> Germany did not watch that Eddie Izzard special, so they invaded Russia in the summer of 1941. <laughs> yeah. And by November, the advancing Nazi armies were on the outskirts of Moscow. And if you want to go to do a really deep pull and you want to learn a little bit more about what happened in Russia, go find the Cannibals episode. True. True. You oh, learn yeah. things. Things you might the Italian, not want to know. <laughs> well, the Italians made a ham-fisted attempt at invading North Africa, so the Germans were there, too. We also uh, ham-fisted in there. I, I think if you had hams for fists, you would be more <laughs> tough than if you just had regular right? fists. Right? You would so just go around slamming people with your hams. I mean, <laughs> Is it a got... ham or, or – yeah. It would be horrifying for if I one got thing. Hit like, in the can face you imagine? With a ham? Yeah. Can I you mean, imagine somebody with hams for hands? No, it's terrible. Like yeah, they, coming I mean, at you? They'd suck in a needle threading contest. But if you're just punching people, then <laughs> yeah. you'd be the ham-fisted guy all the time. Right. You you wouldn't be able to put on a pillowcase. No, no you wouldn't. Not. Too. Or a duvet. But you would no. be able to threaten someone to do it for you with your giant ham fist. It's true. I'm going to clobber you upside the head. But good. I mean, Anyways. a ham. A ham is like the size of my whole torso. Like, they're fucking big. And they have that gross jelly on the outside. Yes, of they do. They don't want to get on your cheek. And they smell all smoky. All right. Oh, God. Okay. We're, we're like on. 25 minutes into the show. And I've I read <laughs> three bullet points. All right. Too many hams. So, the jelly. The Japanese Empire had begun a slow takeover of East Asia since as early as the late 1800s, paying especially close and especially brutal attention to poor China. Man, and even I know the Japanese really gave China a good fucking. Aww. Well, now that you put it like that, I have to ask, but I'm not sure that I really want to know. I sort of do know, but I don't really want to know just how brutal were the Japanese in China. I mean, I thought that the Nazis were the real monsters of the era. Well, they were they were not good, the Nazis, at all. Uh, but our new friends, the Japanese, just might have them beat on the all-time awful list. Ugh. Eh, I don't know. <clears throat> it's probably well. a tie for worst. But here's two examples, just two. Because I'm going to do a whole thing about this, I think. All right. The Nanking Massacre, which is not a lady named Nanking. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Um, the massacre occurred over a period of six weeks, starting on December 13th, 1937, the day that the Japanese captured Nanjing. During this period, soldiers of the Imperial Japanese Army murdered Chinese civilians and disarmed combatants who numbered an estimated 40,000, or it could be as high as 300,000. They don't know for sure. Wonderful. And they raped everybody that they didn't kill, and then they killed them, or they killed them first, and then they raped them. And it didn't have anything to do with any military objective or anything like that whatsoever. They were just like, uh, this is fun. Let's just go massacre they, Yes, and they were trying to trying to um, get the Chinese women pregnant with better, more superior Japanese babies. Wonderful. Huh, that sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. And in 1937, two Tokyo newspapers, the newspapers, mind you, covered a contest between two Japanese officers who were described as trying to be the first to kill 100 people with a sword before the capture of Nanking. Now, what? it doesn't say kill a hundred people who are attacking them. It's just, right, just fucking people. Just anybody. Um, so one guy got to 89 and the other one is was at 78. So it was kind of like the super evil version of Legolas and Gimli from uh, oh, Lord yeah, of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Um, so since neither of them got to a hundred by the time they captured Nanking, um, they just said, okay, well, we'll keep it going. And they oh went on gosh. for a little while, and one guy won 
with 106, beating out the other one by one. So he had killed 105, all with swords, and they all got their heads chopped off. Classic. Wow. So, and it wasn't, it wasn't even like in like a battle or anything like that. Right, it was because just like they they're were marching like, around, just they were walking half around, of people's heads off. Remember in the part in Caddyshack where Bill Murray is is cutting the flowers when he's going out of gusto and everything like that? Yeah. yeah. Right, so imagine them doing that with swords, but they're babies' heads. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, when I was when I was researching this uh this episode, this story, I mean, a lot of this information that uh I was double checking and, and, and finding, I mean, this is all I mean, even on Wikipedia, it's not on some not that Wikipedia is the end all be all, but right. It's, I mean, it was right out there in a mainstream resource. It's not like it was buried deep somewhere. Um, Yeah. This is all pretty serious shit. You didn't have to go to GeoCities to find it. (laughs) No. No, I didn't have to fire up the Apple Newton. Oh, my God. Well, that's pretty terrible. Yeah. So, you know what? Although we didn't know it yet, on November 22nd, 1941, the... United States was truly on the eve of entering the war that would rage across two oceans and ultimately be responsible for over 80 million dead people. Um, you know, tensions were on the rise in the U.S., as you can imagine. Um, you know, we're all barely old enough to remember uh, 9-11. Um, and- <laughs> barely old enough? Is that what we're, is that what we're going with? That's what the- we're going with. Yeah. That's okay. what I'm going with anyway. So the, okay. the story that we're about to share with you unfolded just a couple of weeks before Japan would launch, launch its fateful attack on Pearl Harbor. Okay. Americans everywhere were scouring the news because everything else that was going on around the world was in the papers. Um, this was before TV. Obviously, radio was around. But everybody was keeping a close eye on the tumultuous events unfolding overseas, seeing stories like the one Acadia just talked about, like the rape of Nanking, and reading stories about what was already happening in Asia and in Europe. The memories of World War I were still fresh in the minds of so many people. Um, World War I was known as the Great War, was known as the war to end all wars. So many people died in World War I. So many countries were involved in World War I that a lot of people, rightfully so, thought that, you know what, we can't do this again. Yeah. After World War I, we talked about the Treaty of Versailles earlier that um, you know, made the Germans pay and you can, we can, this could be a whole other show, a whole other season about whether or not the Germans should have paid for everything because they didn't start World War I, all this other stuff. But ultimately, so many countries were involved, so many people died, so many lessons should have been learned. They started the, the League of Nations, the victorious nations after World War I, started the, Victor- uh, the, the League of Nations, which was the precursor to the United Nations, which really didn't do anything. So what, yeah. what about Wonder Woman? She was in World War One. Where she was. Where did she fit in? You know, I still haven't been able to finish that movie. What? what? Yeah. What the Christ are you talking about? No, I want to finish it, but I didn't oh, see God. it in the theaters. And every time I try to watch it on TV, because my wife doesn't like it. What? And so by oh, the time she what? goes to bed, huh? uh, my wife doesn't like it. She doesn't like the movie. So she doesn't by the time like, she goes does to she bed, li- does she, she also hate America and all that is good she loves america she's definitely she, into the whole is she uh, one of those shaved skunk ape people that you no, were talking about i never caught the skunk ape i never caught the skunk ape. okay <laughs> all right anyway sorry i I'm so anyway, just, i don't know what my mind say. is blown i'm sorry I know. so much of world war one was still fresh in the minds of so many and those same people were praying, rightfully so, night and day, that those tumultuous events that were happening everywhere around the world wouldn't reach the isolated shores of the U.S. So on November 22nd, 1941, two ads appeared in the New Yorker magazine for a dice game called simply The Deadly Double. Sounds fun enough, right? <laughs> sounds, yeah. sounds like super fun. Like it, it 
it literally to me sounds like a Ouija board type game. Yeah. Like you play it and you die like Jumanji <laughs> or something, you know, yeah. the advertisements were seemingly harmless and looked similar to many other ads that filled the newspapers and magazines of the time. So nobody gave them much thought. And certainly no one was aware at the time that these innocent looking ads would go on to become one of the most perplexing mysteries of world war two. Whoa. Seriously, this is why do we always talk about things that you can only see on our podcast? <laughs> That's how we right. do. That's how we and, do. All right. So, Jen, we're visual people, fam. I think oh. we're going to probably hopefully put the graphic that we we the the the, the four of us are referencing during the show. We're going to put that we'll up. We'll put it on the uh, website. Yeah, but I need Jen's the the artsy fancy one. So, Jen, you describe <clears throat> it. Pull the bicycle chain out of your throat. Okay, hold on. <laughs> That's not a bicycle chain. Okay. Oh, Jesus! All right, are you are you all ready for my I'm awesome ready. description? Okay. Yep. Great. Hit it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh my God! It wasn't me. This time. who snorted? Acadia. It wasn't was me. Oh my God! All right. <laughs> Uh, one of the ads showed a pair of dice with the characters 0, 5, 7, XX, 24, and 12 on the visible faces. Beneath were the words Monarch Publishing Company, New York. Like Kenny said in the show intro, above the pictures of the dice were warnings in a variety of languages. Achtung, warning, alert. The other ad showed people in a bunker or air raid shelter, and explained that the dice game was essential air raid survival gear, along with, of course, gum and cigarettes. Lube. Oh, Not on the list. Not on the list, Kenny. It should have been. Use, spit in your hand. You can just use gum. <laughs> use a fruit pie. <laughs> the company logo was a suspiciously Germanic-looking double eagle. Hmm. The ads were a little bit weird, but many ads at the time displayed a certain dramatic flair, and nothing about this one in particular really caused any concern for anyone. Yet, it was not until Japan launched its deadly attack on Pearl Harbor 16 days later that a spotlight would be cast on the ads and their mysteries would start drawing attention. I love how, like, so far we have said several times that this wasn't out of the ordinary for this time period, because if they run it an ad like that today everybody would be like whoa and there'd be soccer moms oh, talking about freaking out. how how it was satanic and like yeah who knows info so, wars would be there'd be a subreddit 24 7 there'd be a yes. subreddit about it yeah or people wouldn't even see it right or, or yeah. that because it's in a newspaper yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone would have to screenshot it and put it on twitter before anyone would know i wonder if anybody like still advertises in the classifieds in the newspaper they do i'm gonna have to pick up a newspaper i want to know what kind of people these are um so for those of you who might who might not be as familiar with what happened at pearl harbor as others here's a breakdown on december 7th 1941 the japanese sent two waves of a total of 353 fighters bombers and torpedo planes which laid waste to the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And this would be the trigger for America's active participation in World War II. The wake of the devastation at Pearl Harbor would leave an estimated 188 U.S. aircraft destroyed, 30 vessels crippled. In fact, the battleships Arizona, Utah, and Oklahoma would never be in service and fight again. Um, 2,403 Americans were killed and 1,178 were wounded. Why do they name battleships over fucking states that don't, aren't next to the water? Because they ran out of their favorite presidents? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Lincoln, that's the first Lincoln, thing that comes to mind. Lincoln was taken. <laughs> yeah, but why didn't they name it like... Florida and Freddie. places that are at, that actually have ocean touching them. First of all, do you really think that anything would have gone well for a ship named Florida? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with Jen on that. And actually, I live in Florida. Technically, I'm not even sure Florida was a state then. So carry on. It would have ended up being like a party boat or something. 
A pontoon boat. Yeah, a pontoon <laughs> boat with a flag. Yep. Um, a bunch of people shooting in the air. So, uh, <laughs> so right after, so what you're saying, Christy, so on December 7th, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Yep. That was America's entry into the war with Japan. Um, Hitler, the Germans, so we were talking about the Germans with Russia, with France, with England. Germany's been at war with England, Everybody. with Russia, <laughs> with France, although uh, France surrendered. Germany and Russia still hanging on. Um, Hitler decides day or two after December 7th, 1941, in an act of hubris to declare war on the United States. Right. So we are now, the U.S. is now at war with Japan as a result of a surprise attack and at war with Germany because Germany just decided that they wanted to be assholes again. Correct. So in the aftermath of this shocking surprise attack, um, Americans became obsessed with the idea that traitors, Japanese spies, and Nazi secret agents were infiltrating the country. The FBI, for its part, methodically tracked down and arrested thousands of people it had deemed as subversives and were actively investigating every lead, piece of evidence, or rumor connected with sabotage from enemies of state. And actually, um, George Takei was in a Japanese internment camp with his family during this time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it was during this rising tension and fear of the enemy among us that the FBI became interested in the New Yorker magazine Deadly Double ads. And the previously seemingly harmless ads started to be seen in a whole new light. A large number of readers were calling the FBI, pointing out that the numbers and the imagery in the ads were a little too close to the events at Pearl Harbor to just be coincidence or serendipity. And the FBI started to think that maybe the attacks were not as much of a surprise for some as it seemed. Whoa. Right? That's what I think. Yeah. Whoa. I mean, with all the stuff that's going on with the government in the U.S. right now, um, Jesus. I mean, and all the things that have been declassified and stuff, especially in the last couple of years, I am not surprised that the government thought that there were, you know, spies and traitors everywhere because it was filled with moles and, you know, people right. in secret projects and who knows what else. Acadia, you were still, you and I used to work together for the travel company that we used to work for. Um, you were still there on 9-11, right? Uh, no, I was gone. You were? I was actually, I had started with a new place and I was on my first ever trip for that company. That's right. In New York. In New York. Yep. Wow. And all that Mrs. Ack knew was that I was, quote, at a meeting in Manhattan. And I didn't even know where it was. So <laughs> I couldn't tell her. So oh, God. That's when everything awful. happened, like all the phones went out. And yeah. Uh, so that was, that was quite a day. Yeah. So, Thanks. I mean, I think. It goes without saying that there are obvious parallels between Pearl Harbor and 9-11 as oh, far yeah. as the surprise attack nature and right. the, yep. the number of Americans that were killed and this, the, the, the gen, general outrage over <coughs> what exactly happened. Right. Um, but there were also there – were, there were and are conspiracy theories um, certainly associated with 9-11. Right. Yep. Um, this is one of the conspiracy theories that – was circulating around Pearl Harbor. So a lot of people have a, there are a lot of parallels, I should say, between Pearl Harbor and 9-11. Right. And there are a lot of conspiracy theories out there that were out there in 2001 that are still out there today. And this particular deadly double story was a conspiracy theory that was out there from almost immediately, you know, on December 7th, 1941, um, that, you know, that was, you know, probably one of the only conspiracy theories that was there. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I think that the biggest conspiracy thing, I mean, that I can think of that 
is a parallel to 9-11 is not the warnings and stuff and everything like that, because this deadly double story is awesome as far as that stuff is concerned. But the idea that we knew it was going to happen and allowed it to happen um, for our own reasons, to me, it makes a lot more sense for World War II than it does for 9-11. Because in World War II, I think, from what I know, which we all know now is not much, the I, the concept that this was Europe's war and has nothing to do with us was incredibly pervasive. And since what's that thing that that guy John Meacham said that fits the show so well, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes... Yeah, the idea that other countries should be dealing with their own problems and it doesn't have anything to do with us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it was Europe's war; it was Europe's problem. Nothing was going to happen to us over here. But Roosevelt knew how short-sighted that was, and the rumor that I heard, anyway, and and I guess has some evidence to support it, is that. He knew Pearl Harbor was coming, but he needed something to kick everybody in the ass to realize that we had to get into the war. Mm. Yeah. Well, one of the other reasons that I asked if you were still around at our at our old job in, in, in the travel business is that we had a couple of because you know what Christy just talked about. We had some you know people were calling, uh, um, you know, talking about. Uh, the uh, surprise attack and the obsession with the traitors and the Japanese spies, Nazi secret agents, whatever. Yeah. Um, We had people, we had customers that had called in or written in uh, by email. Like I remember very specifically one of the customers email address was, uh, was a suicide flyer at AOL.com. Oh my goodness. And so we actually reported that to the FBI. The FBI came in and and investigated that particular email address. Right. Wow. And we had another woman that was actually this was actually kind of sad, another woman who was married to a Saudi Arabian man. Yeah. No connection right. to anything. Right. But because she was married to the Saudi Arabian man. And because there was some uh, connection to somebody in New York and then a connection to somebody who had taken flying lessons in Florida, Uh which, as you guys all probably remember, all of these dudes that were involved in 9-11 took their flying lessons in Florida. Of course. Yeah. The the dotted line came back to this girl that actually worked with us Mm. in Portland, Maine. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's that. So a lot of hysteria during World War II, especially right after Pearl Harbor, certainly understandable. A lot of uh, hysteria after, uh, 9/11. after 9-11 too. And, and some of yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember not knowing if I was supposed to go into work on 9-11. Like I woke up and saw everything on, this, on TV. <coughs> and, you know, it was like... <coughs> It was early in the morning for me because at the time I worked um, a late shift. Right. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to be at work until like three in the afternoon. And right. I remember like really, really, you know, having anxiety about like, do I go into work? Do I go hide somewhere? Like, you know, is it going to show up somewhere else? Like, you know, because right. it was really, really terrifying. It was really it was. weird. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I remember talking to we used to talk to uh, a bunch of travel agents in in New York City. That was you know where a lot of our business came from. And I was actually on the phone yeah. with a travel agent in New York City on Fifth Avenue, and she said, "Oh, I just heard that a that a small plane hit one of the Trade Center towers." And then you know, obviously, the whole thing unfolded. Yeah, but uh, that was uh, that was pretty crazy. So anyway, so if you dig or dive deeply enough into the Allison's Wonderland, if you will, of paranormal experiences, and we talk about paranormal experiences on this show a lot, and we're going to keep doing that. Yep. Of it, <laughs> um, eventually, you'll run into numerology. 
And I'm, you know, on the fence about numerology. And anytime you're on the fence, your balls hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least mine do. Wouldn't know, but okay. You wouldn't know. I'm I'm glad that you don't. But uh, apparently. Numerologists find, uh, they find meaning in odd numeric coincidences that sometimes can strain the, uh, the realms of possibility. Um, but in the case of the deadly double, the numbers line up just a little bit too perfectly to be dismissed out of hand. Hmm. Just so. a little bit too perfectly. Well, according to... As far as I can tell, his name is Laissez-Faire Ferragamo, a former United States intelligence expert and military historian. The ads may have served to alert Japanese agents here that it was time to disband their apparatus due to the imminent attack. Hmm. The first advertisement was set in one column and was two (laughs) inches deep. Showed a pair of dice with six numerals written on their faces. There were the numbers 12 and 7, which Mr. Fargo says could have stood for the month and the day of the attack. Which it could have, because it was December 7th, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or it could have stood for something else. May have been the planned time for the bombing, which not uh, didn't actually happen until 7 a.m. They were late. Um, a double X or the Roman numeral 20. Uh, that could have been meant to signify the approximate latitude of Pearl Harbor. Um, the number 24 on the sixth dice face, no one knows what that might mean. And that's why out of all the things I believe, like the one thing I don't believe is numerology. Because they can't just go, oh, yeah, no, but that one doesn't mean anything. Right. Like if I go back up and I'm going to, to the actual things on the ad, thanks to Jen's super duper description. That's Thank you, right. Jen. You're welcome. Yeah, that was pretty good. So, 0, 5, 7, XX, 24, and 12. Double X. Right? Uh, so, 12, obviously, that's December. Yeah. And then you can say 7. However, couldn't the 7 also be 7 a.m.? See, it already ooh. doesn't. But it's too. I mean, you know me. I'm Scully. I don't believe any of this yeah. nonsense. It's just a bunch of numbers. But anyway. Right. Well, all I'm going to say is that just because you don't know what it means doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. That's possible. But I don't think it means this because it's not, clo- it's not well, good enough. I mean, you can say that. However, you can also say there's two sevens uh-huh. and two twelves because five plus seven, 12 obviously. And the X's are clearly variables, so any of these could be any number that you want them to be. Oh, Jesus. It has well, if to you're be a double do, of the same number. If you were really going to do numerology, you have to, like, add them all together and, until you get, like, one digit. You can't have 12. You have to have one plus two is three. See? And yeah, don't ask sometimes they add them together, and then sometimes they'll say, yeah, they'll, uh, those fuckers. Anyway, <laughs> the other thing that I don't get with this idea is why did they have to do that? Why couldn't they have just put in a foot? Like if they had spies all over the country, okay, I get it. And they probably did. Right. But they probably could have come up with a different, you know, it, it could Way have been a them? one ad that said, you know, wanted one llama. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah, it, but they it, would have been looking for a one ad. Uh, for a llama? No, not for a llama. They would. They would have. If it was me in the FBI, I would look at want ads, personal ads, uh, for sale ads, stuff like that. Um, especially classified ads. I would not necessarily look at an actual advertisement for a product. Yeah, that's true. Hey, yeah. guess what, everybody? What? I have an important, an important, almost real time piece of information to tell you okay on monday i went to the international spy museum with bnev in washington dc and we what part of it is uh they give you a at the beginning they give you a a fake identity and like a cover to us to assume and then throughout the museum there are these 
check-in points where they check to see how good you're doing at remembering your stuff. Yeah. But anyway, another thing they do is they have a lot of places where they'll have like a picture and they'll be like, in this picture, there are like five dead drop points. See if you can figure out what they are. And anyway, she and I did really good. So we'd be really good spies. Huh. Nice. Do they still have the thing where you can make out with the fake James Bond? Um, we didn't do that part. <laughs> oh, that, was I, a, that was I a thought... museum patron that you uh, attacked. <laughs> that was, I was, that was just you assaulting you someone. <laughs> you were assaulting a uh, a living model <laughs> oh, Jesus. who was really dedicated. Um, but, but the, when you're talking about the, the advertisements and stuff, I'm just thinking like there's, uh, there was a lot of stuff about like signaling and like how you would, you know, how they would like let people know to do things and stuff. It was super yeah. interesting. You know, my favorite relative of all time was my great aunt because I didn't have any grandparents or I didn't have any grandmothers when I was old enough to know about it. And so she right. like was my grandmother right. and we kept in touch even after I moved and I was an adult. And so I would call her and, you know, update her on everything that was going on because obviously being, you know, Southern, she wanted all the gossip. Right. And she routinely told me that I would make a terrible spy. <laughs> <laughs> like, didn't even sure put it. She'd be like, well, what about this? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, oh, Christy. You'd be such a bad spy. Did she have a background in World War II? She was probably alive during World War II, but I don't think she served. Okay. I'll have to check. Because that would be interesting. That would be interesting. As opposed to the thing you actually said. He just low-key just totally just low key dissed you. Hey, you know what? Jen says go eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> I totally do. She would say it, but her voice is giving out. Christy said it for me. So, All right. Just well, to, just to recap my last little fact that that Kenny gave me to say the number 24 appears on the sixth dice face and no they have no explanation on what the 24 might mean so another interesting tidbit here during the war a navy transport pilot was flying a south pacific route when one of his passengers an intelligence officer told him that many in intelligence indeed considered this ad a secret warning he had been assigned to investigate the matter but every lead had led to a dead end what he did find only added more mystery. The ad's copy had been presented in person at the magazine's offices and the fee paid with cash. Neither the game offered in the ad nor the company that purported to make it ever existed. Huh. Whoa. Wow. That's kind of a smoking gun. That yeah. is a bit weird. Maybe it was a Kickstarter. <laughs> the first Kickstarter. Yeah, but if I put an ad out for this game, people will want to buy it, and then I'll have enough money to make it. Yes. Oh my god. I mean, one thing, and I, I don't understand how like checks and banks work and that kind of thing. I mean, exactly how it works, or maybe even <laughs> at all how it works. But so the ads copy had been presented in person, and the fee paid with cash. Yeah, that doesn't seem out of the ordinary for the time period. To yeah, me. exactly. It's not like you could trace a credit card payment because yeah. nobody was paying with a credit card at that point. Even if you wrote a check, I'm not sure you could even trace that check right. unless you'd written that check. Yeah, I mean, like, <clears throat> you could just write a fake check. Like, yeah. stuff like that got faked all the time. Yeah, it was olden times. You could just put on a different hat and no one would know who you were. Yeah, and like a fake mustache and stuff. Like, it must have been super easy to be a spy then, right? I mean, except for the so. Japanese guys, they probably stuck out. Uh, in America, they did. In Singapore, probably not. <laughs> but that's a different show. Different show. Different show, guys. So, my fellest of fell companions, what say you? What do you think so far? Was this a cleverly disguised and secret communication that alerted Japanese agents of the pending Pearl Harbor attack? Was this clever code ultimately cracked by alert and hypervigilant magazine and newspaper readers in the days leading up to America's entry into World War II? What do you think it was? It's really interesting. Like, the timing is really interesting. The fact that the company, like they couldn't find any information on the Monarch Publishing Company, I think it was. Yeah. Um, 
and they couldn't find the game for sale anywhere. So, yeah, I'm I would be super convinced that this was I mean, it's just so so oddball and bizarre. Like it had to be in the, um a code. Well, so I think, I just think that the idea that it's numerology or whatever makes no sense. But I do think, I mean, obviously, it's weird that the thing that was being advertised didn't exist. So, like, something, you know, there's some weird reason for it, right? Yeah. I think. Um, I just think maybe it may or may not have had to do with Pearl Harbor, or maybe it did, but we didn't figure out how. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe we didn't maybe we didn't have it's like one of those ciphers where you have to have the key or right, or you it's can't impossible ever read it. Right. A kitty Einstein, Jack Jamondo. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm gonna be Jack Jamond, then I'm gonna go oh, it didn't have anything to do with anything. Wow. All the Japanese spies only had one code word and it was probably something that we never knew. <laughs> I have no also, idea what's going on, but it's great. Also, why did the Japanese agents that were nowhere near Pearl Harbor yeah, why did they have need to... to be alerted? I know. Like, what were they going to do? If they were in Hawaii, then yeah, maybe it would have been, hey, I agree. don't go to Pearl Harbor today. <laughs> right. That's a good point. But other than that, what the fuck does some asshole in Indiana care? He's just going to hear it on the radio anyway. I agree. I, I, I think that part let's just say there were other other Japanese spies out there, either classic Japanese or not. Um, what does that mean? Well, that you might easily identify as Japanese or maybe somebody who was sympathetic with the cause. Oh, okay. So not necessarily. Gotcha. Yeah. So not, not like an ethnic Japanese person okay. somebody who was, was sympathetic with the, with the cause. Gotcha. Um, Hey, you know, our new tongue wrangler um, for Superficial Gallery is a quarter Japanese. Whoa. Wow. Does that mean that she's against <laughs> us? Does huh? that mean that she's against us? Yes. I don't think so. No. Pretty sure she was born after Pearl Harbor. <laughs> right. She was born. Just after. a couple of years. Just a yeah. few years. One so, or yeah, 30. So I think that uh, those people, even if they were in uh indianapolis or spokane or uh bangor they would have had an opportunity to get their shit together and kind of skedaddle for the skedaddle or, or blend in or whatever they needed to do whatever their orders were or whatever right. their 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 they were best at yeah, like, look surprised yeah. that's the part yeah. that i don't get like oh now it's time for me to play my part i'm gonna knock over this newspaper dispenser <laughs> right or some shit right i don't so, know yeah so yeah so it was either one thing or the other um either it was the a very clever ruse or it was an extreme coincidence but newspaper articles ran as late as 2016. The ones, actually, there were there were ones ones that I saw that ran as late as 2016. We're still calling this one of the greatest mysteries of World War II that were still unsolved. However, it seems that this mystery had indeed already been solved. In fact, let's recreate this TV news report from 1967. <clears throat> okay. So I'm going to put on my best reporter voice, which normally would just be my normal voice because I have a Midwestern accent, but now it's a smoky voice for some reason. Smoky. <laughs> Here we go. A woman who says she is the widow of the man who invented a game called The Deadly Double denied yesterday that advertisements for the game published in 1941 carried any warning of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. The woman, Mrs. R.P. Craig of Montclair, New Jersey, disputed the suggestion that the ads had been designed to alert Japanese agents in this country. Mrs. Craig said she had helped her late husband, Roger Paul Craig, write the cryptic ads. She said the ads had been designed as teasers to promote the game. Mrs. Craig said that she and her late husband were visited by agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation after Pearl Harbor, but that the relationship of the ads to the attack was just one big coincidence. She said she had no idea how her husband happened to pick the numbers. 
So, Acadia, mm. you were right. It was Kickstarter. It was <laughs> Kickstarter. She was like, well, it's just an idea we had for a game. Interesting. But now, I, now I'm back to thinking that it was a thing for Japanese spies. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. Because that's the dumbest fucking thing I ever heard. <laughs> I... Oh, yeah, no, we're going to make a game that involves dice. So we're going to put pictures of the dice on with just random fucking numbers because we don't even know how to play the game. <laughs> we're just testing people's interest. Like, we could have just, they could have put, oh, yeah, no, you need a pony and an apple. <laughs> those are those are the game pieces. And um, <laughs> this, this wadded up chunk of paper towel. That's sure. all you need, and it's going to be the best. Like, she's full of shit. No, I mean, here's another thing, too, about the dice is that I think back in 1941, I could be wrong about this, but and I'm not a big Dungeons and Dragons player. Uh, in fact, I've, I've never played it, but well, then you're a loser and I play every week. I know you do. Um, and bully for you. <laughs> but um, the uh, my point is, is that so a regular die or dice goes up to what six, right? Yeah. So these dice had one had a seven on it, one had a double X, a twenty-four. I mean, what? Granted, I haven't played the game and doing some research. Actually, I think Christy, you were the one who found an actual copy of this game online, right? Yeah, there's um, there are pictures of a game that looks to be the right age, like like the box and the um, the contents look worn enough to be from the 40s, uh, and it has the same card in it that has the same copy from the ad and the same artwork and the same font and everything, but nobody could find it until years later, and I did not track down exactly how long after the war that they actually found this game. The other interesting thing that I found is that um, this Lazislas uh, Farago guy. Laissez-faire Farragamo. Yes. Farango. <clears throat> uh, after he gave an interview, um, he like wrote a book with the... Uh, the theory in it that this was, you know, a warning to the Japanese spies. The book is called The Broken Seal. Um, and he did an interview about it. And one of the people that the interview reached was a certain Mrs. E. Shaw Cole in Montclair, New Jersey. So she contacted the New York Times on the same day that the interview ran. And she said that she and her late husband were visited by agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, blah, blah, blah. But it was just one big coincidence. So, the interesting thing is that the FBI had to make sure that, like, they re they kind of looked at it again after this woman came out of the woodwork. Um, and they actually tracked down a Roger Cole... Where is it? Roger Paul Craig, excuse me, who lived in Mamaronic Bay, New York, during the time. Um, that's Mamaronek. Whatever. Oh, which is right near where I live. You pronounce some Florida names and come back to me. Um, <laughs> Miami. With if you ain't never been to Opalaka, don't ever come to Opalaka. Or Okahonka. Um, oh my god. But Roger Paul Craig, who lived in whatever Acadia lives in, during the time, his wife's name was Vivian. What? Which doesn't start with an E. No, it does not. So, it's possible that the New York Times wrote down the name of the woman incorrectly, I guess? Seems weird. But, Seems like something you double check as you were writing it yeah. down. And all we really have about this entire game are unverified statements from him originally and her. And she says that she divorced him like after the whole deal, right. like years later. So that also makes me think that there's something else going on. 
interesting. Hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna look at these pictures of this game and see if I can figure out how you were supposed to play it. I want to see if I can find uh, <clears throat> a copy of this game on eBay if it really right? exists. Right. Because I just looked up uh, what you were talking about uh, the Game Boy game bug or whatever game fan it was and yeah 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 um yeah <clears throat> excuse me and uh yeah i want to see if i can find something like this on ebay or at a it sounds like the kind of thing that assholes on reddit would spend way too much time on maybe so i'm looking at the the pictures of the box and it really does have like a double eagle with shield and two x's in it so it looks very axis of evil anyway but the copy inside the game, like inside the, the box, says, P.S. Read the rules carefully. Try and memorize the, quote, matching numbers. And keep your shirt on. If you can't afford to lose it, don't play this game. Whoa. Hmm. That's weird. So, sex per- slaves. Light. <laughs> kind light- Light doses are prescribed for beginners. Players should keep an even temperature. Ingredients not injurious, except when mixed with alcohol. What on earth? Yeah. and That's then it super weird. It literally says shake well before using, and it's got the two dice like embedded in the cardboard. Wow. It's right. I don't even know what so, to think anymore. Here, I'm going to explain it all now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. That, Christy just gave me the last piece. All right. So what everybody keeps forgetting, and I don't mean everybody here, I mean everybody yapping about the conspiracy part, is that if they were right, then the Japanese agents were indeed tipped off. Right. Unless there were a bunch of assholes like hiding outside somebody's door at five in the morning because the dice said five in the morning and it didn't start until seven. There's, they got whatever message they were supposed to get. And if Christie's game is right, what they did was they captured a bunch of sex slaves because we already know how rapey they are. Right. Yeah. All the, the comfort women in Asia. So if their plan was, if we, capture all these women then the men will have to stay behind to try and find them and won't be able to go in the war makes perfect sense Mm. i am assuming that there were probably five to seven million japanese agents for that to actually work because if it was like five guys i don't think they could catch that many sex slaves but we don't know how many there were I don't think Allison Mack was alive back then, though. <laughs> Stupid <laughs> Allison Mack. <laughs> she oh. ruined it for everybody. Y'all wait for that episode. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus. That's a rabbit hole. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> she said. That's what she said. Luring them into the... <laughs> exactly. So, at the end of it, I don't believe that lady. Because if she just said, oh, yeah, no, I was the one that had that game. She said, waiting many, many years. Yeah, that's the thing. She didn't even say that she had the game. She just said that she helped her husband prepare the the ads for it. Yeah. To to promote it, which sounds like a bad business plan (laughs) in the 40s. Right. She's full of it. Yeah. I don't buy it. Kenny. Yeah. And he's like, I'm done. I don't know what this story was. This story was pretty interesting, even though it turned out that the Japanese won. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was interesting, and I I, I picked this. I, you know, we we've, we've been wanting to do a uh, a World War II related story for a while. I think and there was it. no grizzly murder. Yeah, so, we started. Well, except for like there? mass what murder. Have, you, they yeah. never found any of the sex slaves. I mean, oh, there, there, there are so many things, obviously, that we can talk about yeah. related to murder and war. Yes. Uh, you know, this no, is this... Our, our first for, foray into, uh, into, into World War II or, or into to really to, to war as a whole. But um, 
I think that this is interesting because not a lot of people have talked about it. I, I couldn't find another podcast that had talked about it. I couldn't find yeah. goddamn Chris, right. Yeah, Chrissy, right. I was I was using your rule about uh, YouTube if there was what more less than three or four. Yeah, there are less than three or four videos about a certain topic, then it is just not well known at all. I didn't see a single video about this topic. Whoa. Nice. Um, so we are certainly vanguards again uh, with again. this topic. And this was, um, I think, pretty interesting as far as, you know, kind of going hand in hand, in hand with, um, you know, the the mania of the time and right. yeah um, for sure and this yeah. also opens up a lot of stuff um kind of opens up the topic i would like to see you kenny do some more of these based on like stories crazy stories around historical events like um <coughs> like vietnam because there was a lot of really weird stuff that got reported from the war in vietnam um and obviously world war ii so I'm excited. I'm excited too because that means I could go to my favorite restaurant, which is a Vietnamese restaurant. Ah, yeah. And if you want to come to Orlando, come on down. All right. I think everybody should go down to Orlando to visit the Strangeful Things Museum in Kenny's car. <laughs> Actually, it's in the camper. The camper. And, oh, even camper. even more creepy. Even better. <laughs> and listen, and listen, everyone. I and mean, you know what? Just go down and watch Wonder Woman with him. He'll leave you alone. I know. He just wants to be able to watch it. Um, I do actually. The the uh, this episode is extra special too, everyone, faithful listeners, and it's going to be the the biggest reason for you to have signed up for the Patreon ever. Because hmm. if you go to patreon.com slash strangeful and support us, you will eventually get to hear uh, something that I can only call reflections on 9-11 that didn't have anything to do with this story, but that we talked about for like 20 minutes and then <laughs> make cut out and make into a whole different thing. Well, okay. We're not cutting it out. <laughs> if we oh, cut 20 minutes if we cut it's 20 minutes out of the show it will make no sense what did you just jam a commercial and some elevator music in there and then be like well here we are on a different topic Pearl Wait. Harbor and 9-11 are linked yes Yes. see absolutely technically by overruled. water overruled Acadia overruled I love my favorite thing is to make you just like sigh so I, sadly. Just, it, it makes me so, so happy. <laughs> so cute when you think you can do stuff. Well, what's interesting, everybody, <laughs> is that I engineer the fucking episodes and post them. So I don't know how you're doing anything. You don't need, I try. By the way, one time recently, this is a special, this can be a special outtake for the fans. One time recently, at a weekend, Acadia was like, oh, Mrs. Axe going to be gone all weekend. Why don't you give mm -hmm. me the tracks and I'll engineer the podcast. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I try to give them to him. And he's like, why is it so many different tracks? I don't know how to smush them together. I can't do it. And I was like. I never said that. And you never yes, said that to me. I just said <laughs> I Yes, you it. did. Yes, you did. You literally did you said, say, I, I don't know how to together? smush. I don't know how to smush them together. <laughs> That's what I said. have the same software as you. You have audacity. That's what I use, you dumb fuck. <laughs> I also <laughs> Sorry. I also yes. created both the pages on the web for Strangeful Things and Superficial Gallery. Correct. So he so, needs both of us. That's right. He doesn't need me at all. <laughs> he needs you to stand against us. Ah. Uh. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. See, that is, that's your role. <laughs> and hey, everybody out historical there, historical war correspondent. <laughs> hey, everybody out there, you want to be Kenny? <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> now you have two choices. You can give to Patreon.com. Or and so when I stop paying for everything, then there'll still be money. <laughs> and then. <laughs> My two grackles here who think that they've got their little empire all to themselves. 
I'm just saying you're not you can't make me pull things out of the show is what I'm saying. All right. Anyway, who cares? Wrap it up. Let's go. I'm I've been ready to be fired for the last two years. So I don't know <laughs> what you think you're gonna threaten me with. Here's my here's I've been fired. <laughs> right? And you're back. You're here. I am. Actually I quit. Depends who you talk to. Oh, Technicality. What a team. <laughs> and yet we all end up coming back here every <clears throat> That's the point. Actually, Christy, you're right. That the, the point is is that this is the show to be on. This is the show to listen to. Yep. Um, this is the place to be. So right. thank you all for being We have hitched our proverbial wagons. Yeah. Hey, listen, everybody. Thanks for spending this time with us. We really, really hope that you do go to the Patreon if you can. And even if you only gave a dollar, it would be one dollar that we currently don't have. Correct. So have fun and we will talk to you next week. If you enjoyed this episode of Strangeful Things, you can support the show by visiting patreon.com slash strangeful. That's S-T-R-A-N-G-E-F-U-L. You can also follow us at facebook.com slash strangeful or at strangefulpod on Twitter. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And if you haven't, please leave us a review on iTunes. It absolutely helps, and we appreciate each and every review. Thanks.